there's no one person literally that can build a business on their own shoulders. It takes an entire team with different skill set. And if you just think about a piece of software, you have the engineers, you have the infrastructure technology people, you have the creative designers, you have the marketing folks, you have the sales folks, you have the customer success team, you know, administration and support by all really. Um, and then you have the, the leadership um, to help kind of uh, move it down the field. But yeah, I mean, contemporary capitalism, right, is the, is the team. Welcome back. It's March 2021, and you are in Piazza. I'm Jeannie Allen. And I'm Michael Moe. And this week, we're joined by Michael Carter, Michael Moe's co-author of the new best-selling book on capitalism called The Mission Corporation. Mike's also the founder and CEO of BizEquity, a world leader in online business valuations, which he will tell us all about, I hope, because I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, I have no idea what that means, but I aspire to know. Prior to his equity, uh, Mike was managing partner for the Musser Group. He's got over 20 years of experience in enterprise software and technology services, has founded three software companies, including Dashboard Systems, which is now part of Cisco. He's been called the top 100 people globally in fintech through his role as founder and CEO of BizEquity. He's an active angel investor, private equity company advisor for dozens of companies. He's the author of best-selling business books, What Is Your Business Worth? and has six patents in his name in the areas of cloud-based business valuation optimization. Mike, welcome to Piazza. Hi, Jeannie. Hey, Michael. So, Mike, so in, in, in full disclosure, not only did we uh, co-write this together, but we're, we're close friends and have a number of business um, relationships that, 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 that we're working on. Um, but I think it, you know, let's go back a little bit. Talk about uh, how did you get to be an entrepreneur? You've founded multiple successful software firms. You've written a couple of books, um, but, but you know, talk about how you got interested in entrepreneurship and software and in the whole area of kind of contemporary capitalism. Um, yeah, no, it's great to be here, Michael. Um, so I think, I, I, you know, besides wanting to be a um, professional athlete, uh, tennis player when I was young, I, after that, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I used to re read Crazy Person Reading Forbes magazine, I think, in, in high school by myself quietly um, and dreaming, reading these stories of these tremendous entrepreneurs that, you know, really changed the world. You know, early days of Craig McCall, early days of Bill Gates, somewhat early days of Bill Gates and how one, how one big idea with a team around them, how they could literally, you know, employ thousands, change something, democratize something, make something better, faster or cheaper um, and change the world. And then locally in Philadelphia um, during college, there was a lot of articles and stories on um, a, a gentleman who became a mentor to me, um, uh, Pete Musser, who was the found, founder, chairman and CEO of Safeguard Scientifics. And um, used to read all these amazing stories about Pete. And the one thing that always stood out for me was he did all these amazing things like founding investor Comcast, QVC and Novell, and was still, you know, you could just see it in his eyes and see it in, in things he said, just an incredibly decent human being. And I'm, you know, so lucky and honored and just by fate, I think that my first job was a company 
that Pete was chairman of. I didn't plan it that way, but I got, you know, got the gig at Cambridge Technology Partners as a management consultant because I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But in order to be an entrepreneur, you know, um, I had, you know, humility in the sense of I had to make sure I knew what I was talking about, whatever uh, path I went down, whatever category or company I wanted to build. Um, and having that broad base in a, cons in a consulting arena like Cambridge gave me that ability to kind of look at technology as a strategic asset. And that was um, what really kind of helped me figure out that what I wanted to do was build software companies. Um, it was in the intersection of client server technology moving to internet technology in the mid to late 90s. And the internet just allowed for such creativity in building software companies. And much like you, Michael, like, you know, I've been blessed with having, you know, great mentors and role models for me. It was um, Pete Musser. Um, who really got me going and, and got my juices going. Yeah. Well, talk about, so give just a little bit more. So Pete Moser died about a little over a year ago. And talk about just kind of the things he did and the people he helped and the twinkles eye and how that influenced you. Because, you know, he is a very remarkable person who's influenced and had an impact on so many, many people and, and, and the whole, you know, several generations of entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, you know, one of the great benefits and, and um, things that happened in my life through Pete was also, you know, meeting you um, at an investment conference that I went to on behalf of, of Pete. But, you know, I, I mean, you know, one of a kind, I mean, you had it with Bill Campbell, Michael, as we talked about in the book, right, a little bit, you know, um, just a one of a kind person who made magic because he was never looking to take advantage of somebody or or something um he was always only looking to really help the entrepreneur and he was an amazing entrepreneur himself but he would always look at some like some of the great you know things that 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 he had done was literally um one of the leading companies in banking software over the last 50 years sanchez computer associates uh michael and frank sanchez and they talk about this story so i don't feel bad saying it um but michael and frank sanchez came to pete they weren't going to be able to meet payroll and they booked a breakfast with them and said, we heard you're the only person that could help us. We've been turned down by like a hundred investors and Pete made a joke saying, wow, I feel so, I feel so honored, you know, that you like that I'm the, I'm the sucker here. And, um, you know, Pete dug in with them, spent four or five hours, understood where they were. So they had no money. were being sued by their biggest client um, and had no real IP and Pete, um, said, well, how much do you need to carry you through the next three weeks? They gave him a number. He said, okay, I'll have it wired on Monday and then we can figure out the deal and did it on a handshake. And right. nowadays, right, imagine, you know, how outra outraged people would be for him to do something like that, right? Or the LPs associated with those funds. So when he did it as a pub uh, CEO of a publicly traded company that he founded called Safeguard Scientifics at the time. And that company became Sanchez Computer Associates, which... Gave, sold software to Elon Musk in his first, you know, banking technology business. And, and Mike and Frank have been successful past that and had, a, I think, a $5 billion company from that investment. So crazy stories like that. Um, another story that I love is um, Novell. So Novell was originally a, a shutdown. And the only other person I think would do this story would probably be you, Michael. Um, I love this story. So the Novell story is... Um, they had like two people and a dog at the company. They were spending money because they had all at that point, right in the early eighties, 
You had mainframes. You had you know heavy heavy cost of iron. Okay, hold on. What is Novell for our listeners? Oh, sorry. Novell was basically the company that created networking software before Cisco, right. and it's where Eric Schmidt um, was. Um, you know, kind of quietly, not in a huge way, CEO of that business. Um, but Novell basically created. Um, the channel partnership model that a lot of software companies use and really invented networking software. So mm-hmm. how, you know, computers talk to one another prior to the internet and then during the internet. Um, but Novell was literally um, a shutdown. It was doing something a bit different and Pete was spending money to keep it alive. And the board publicly traded board, every board meeting would say, how much, like, are we still, what happened with this Novell company? And Pete would say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we're, it's okay. You know, we're just, and quietly he would be giving money to keep it, keep it going. And there was a Comdex event. So the last thing they were doing was demoing Novell at a Comdex event. And, the, and Ray Norda, who I think was a pretty storied IBM executive or engineer, walked by, thought it was interesting and called Pete and Pete did a deal with him on the phone. <laughs> Um, over the course of like four to six weeks, met one time, did a handshake, and they did like a two-thirds, one-third deal. And those Novell shares literally for Safeguard were worth like $3.7 billion from a shutdown. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just crazy, amazing stories like that because he believed in the entrepreneur. He believed that capitalism, to, to bring it back, I think, to what you and I wrote, Michael, that capital, capitalism was infinite, right? That um, capitalism was abundant. Um, he didn't believe in scarcity and he believed in a, in a win-win philosophy, which is kind of what you and I obviously believe in and what we saw kind of changing with capitalism. So, so let me ask you about that, Mike, because you and Michael Moe, my partner in crime and Piazza, you guys wrote the mission corporation together. And here, if I'm out there listening to you speak, and I don't know who you are, you're a founder of Biz Equity, you're talking about all these major deals going on. You're talking about capitalism. And for a lot of people, you're talking about an environment that I'm never going to get to. Like, I don't know anything about and it's making me angry. And it is, as you guys point out in the book, maybe one of the things that's leading to people wanting to embrace socialism and even communism. So how is the capitalism that you're talking about, the deal flow, different or what you seek to fix? You talk about distorted capitalism, right? So what's happening different today than was happening when you were cutting your teeth at biz equity? Yeah. So, so, you know, and how it happened was Michael and I would get to Michael was a founding board member and really, you know, helped me kind of start biz equity found, found biz biz equity. And over the years we would get together and talk about the fact that we just saw the environment changing. And what we talk about a little bit, I think it's like page 19 of the book is the fact that um, there were cracks, there's been cracks in capitalism where the power seemed to have shifted. Right. So if you think about these stories that I was talking about with Pete Musser in the 70s when he was doing Safeguard, I wasn't around, but 80s, 90s, the power was still with the entrepreneur. Right. It seems like in the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the power has shifted away from the entrepreneur into the providers of capital. And there seems to be this focus, as Michael always says, too, around short termism. Right. And this idea of meeting quarterly expectations, this idea of private equity, um, you know, investment, this idea of the providers of capital really controlling and, and driving the bus. 
and the entrepreneur kind of being in the back seat. And I think to me, that's what's, that's what's changed. Um, and that was one of the things that Michael and I had noticed. And so this notion of, you know, zero sum, you know, uh, heads I win, tails you lose. I'm the provider of capital. Um, you tell me the, 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 the valuation, I'll tell you the deal, right? With all these different permutations, as you know, Jeannie, you're shaking your head. I don't know your, back, your full background, but terms associated to the, the money being put in. So, you know, young entrepreneurs or maybe uh, first-time yeah. entrepreneurs that get these term sheets from, from, venture, from venture capitalists or private equity firms so excited because they're raising money for their dream to democratize something only to find out that the terms, they, yeah, they'd be better getting a you know, nine to five job somewhere than trying to do this. Right. So, so, so kind of the, 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 the magic, the creativity, the innovation um, was still there, but that the power had shifted, we thought, to the providers of capital. And, yeah. um, you know, as Michael, maybe Michael, you'd love to add to that, I'm sure. Well, no, all I was going to say is back to like this, you know, you see the studies which show 60% of millennials and Gen Z think that socialism is a better, you know, form than, than capitalism. And it's not because these, these young people are stupid. It's because what they've lived through and what they're experiencing is a system that's rigged where this becomes, you know, the rich are getting richer and fewer and fewer people are participating in the future. And so the, despite the fact that socialism is 42, you know, 0 and 42 in the past hundred years, um, you know, what people understand is this, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this system. It's broken. It feels rigged. And I think that was the point that we were trying to bring forward, which is capitalism is a wonderful thing, but the being hijacked by what, what I call Darwinian capitalism, survival of the fittest, you know, and looking at things like varsity blues, where the you know people were born on third base, thought they could you know thought they could still steal home. It's just it's 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 you know it's the system's broken. So that's I think that's what this is about. You know, the other thing that strikes me, and I'd love to hear you both talk about this, is um, especially with COVID, but even prior, many young people don't have role models in their life that they can look to and say, oh, they started that store. And that, that store became even bigger. And then they hired my friends and my friends became the executive vice president. And then they got mentored. And oh. I don't know why, like I had those things when I was growing up, I watched it happen. I watched my parents go create little small businesses that were able to sustain us and then give people jobs that they were able to go create and buy my mother's business one day. And so why don't people see that? Because I kind of feel like Right. If they saw more of it, they understand and appreciate why capitalism works. Totally. Michael, what do you, what do you think? Why, why they're not seeing that, those stories? Well, no, I mean, again, but I think that's you, 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 be, you are who you are by what you read and the people that you meet. And to your point, Janie, when you're talking about, you know, having that role model of the corner, you know, grocer or hardware store that the person was successful and built a middle class upper you know, class for their family. The problem is, you know, Walmart and Home Depot and, you know, the internet have basically steamrolled a lot of those local businesses. Not, it's not being critical. That's, 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 that kind of goes too, but it's like, where do you get that window to a role model or to a mentor? So actually this is different than the Mission Corp per se. The Mission Corp is a handbook that really describes what the future, we think of a future of combining the ambition of a for-profit with the heart of a not-for-profit where purpose is at the center of all this. But we also think that you know the, this this idea that 
you know, people should be able to um, participate in a company where they're, they're, it has multiple constituencies. So it's not just the shareholders. So Milton Friedman, 50 years ago, talked about the, pur the purpose of a company was to maximize profit. That's the best thing that they could do. Nothing wrong with Milton Friedman. He's a brilliant person, a good person. But the fact is what, what, what certainly has been uncovered is that there's more to success and sustainability than optimizing profit. It's you know, so, certainly shareholders are responsible. You, you know, shareholders are important, but so are the employees. Uh -huh. So are the customers. So is the community. So is the environment. How does all that come together and to create something that is better for all? When, you know, so it's not, it's not, you know, I win, you lose. It's how we all win together. Totally. And I think what Michael and I saw, Jeannie, was a lot of the books on the topic. I think it got to some one point in the beginning of COVID, I think when we knew, you know, this is what we're going to wanted to do. We're on to something. And then we'd hear about like, oh, there's a rumor of a new book coming out around purpose-based capitalism or so on and so forth. We stopped, I think, reading anything new because we wanted this to be, you know, pure and, and our kind of thinking from from kind of where, where we thought we were in from an economy perspective. But I think what's so unique is that we created, I think, hopefully, a roadmap to show how these companies could become mission corporations, could be more purposeful, could be, you know, more on point, could be more about stakeholder capitalism through actions of the business. So through providing a roadmap for them to, to, to do that. And, you know, um, one of the statistics that, that uh, we had found was Michael, that percentage of high school students that want to be entrepreneurs, isn't it like, it's a, what is it's that? Over 80, it's over 80%. And so if you think of that, right? So, you know, over 80% of high school, high schoolers want to become entrepreneurs. And then Jeannie's point, they kind of lose that dream when they see that they can't do it or the Amazon effect or the other comments that you made. I think what this book was, was kind of prescriptive looking ahead saying, oh my gosh, there's 80% of high school students saying they want to be entrepreneurs, but what if they don't have those opportunities, right? What if they do get feel disenfranchised? How do you change the game for capitalism and make it a third way, right? So to your point, like, what, you can't cancel your way to, to, to greatness here. And it's not an either or, it's an and. So it's capitalism, right? It's the greatest economic system the world's ever known, but it can get better like anything. Yeah, and your solution and your roadmap, if you will, your handbook prescribes a path that people can follow if they have a certain attitude. So in Piazza, we decided when we started this, Mike, that um, we wanted to also touch on difficult issues. So how do you follow a path, even that's really well delineated, like you have in the Mission Corporation, when we're looking at what some people are calling the largest expansion of the welfare state in history, a $1.9 billion um, tab um, across trillion, sorry, 1.9 trillion. It's just so hard to believe that it's that big. Um, that's about to be given to people who, some of whom aren't even infected by COVID. Like the entire world is about to get a check. Can we expect capitalism to thrive or even be improved if we do that? Are these 85% of the students going to be sitting around saying, well, why do I have to do that? I'm about to get like everything I need. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think the economy could, could take that, right, over the course of the next 10 years if that continues. I mean, one of the things that we also propose is that government and tax and ta or government, right, through their tax systems should uh, not just 
what seems like it's doing, right? Regressive tax, really penalizing profits. It should also incentivize the behavior they want from the businesses, right, in society. So this idea of um, a lower capital gains tax, and it sounds fancy, Jeannie, to your earlier point, but what that means is when they finally get the dream, they finally build the, the, the dream, the business, they've gone without for 10 years, right? They've sacrificed, they've paid others before they've paid themselves. And in that 10th or 11th year, they finally get their payday. And they're taxed the same amount as a hedge fund manager who's made $8 million a year for the last 10 years. And this entrepreneur, right, if you added up probably the last 10 or 15 years, 20 years of their life, it wouldn't be even that amount. And they're taxed at the same rate. Right. So I don't know about you, but I don't think that's fair at all. And if in what we're trying to do is say, you know what, it's not a Republican or a Democratic issue, but if you can really help and inspire entrepreneurs to do the right thing through incentives, like a flat 10% capital gains tax treatment, right? So Michael's friend, Steve Forbes or Jack Kemp in the, in the, in the early days, this flat tax idea, but taking the flat tax idea and applying it to people that are really building mission corporations. And we'll get into the declarations a little bit, yeah. but we really think, right, for capitalism to work, you need a middle class. And if we get, you know, a million mission corporations over the course of the next 25 years, that middle class will grow. Yeah. Well, you were asking about like, you know, just what does this mean when you put, you know, I mean, the, 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 everybody gets a check. It's like everybody gets a, in a soccer team gets a, gets a medal, but it's worse than that because, you know, I mean, on one hand, money doesn't grow on trees, but the Federal Reserve does have a printing press. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when it uses that printing press <laughs> for, um, for, for, for things that, you know, that don't incent the right behavior, I mean, and that's not to say, well, look, the world's got turned upside down. It's on its back. It needs help. Government is here to help in those type of, you know, um, disastrous situations. But the best thing that we can do is to help, you know, it's, it's, it's to teach people how to fish, not give them a bunch of fish, mm -hmm. right? And that's, and I think what Mission Corp's about is aligning incentives in a way where it's not I win, you lose. It's not where uh, monopoly where you're trying to wipe everybody off the board, it's more like it's more like education. If I share knowledge with you, I don't lose that knowledge. We, yeah. we, we both benefit and you multiply that across society. And that's what I think the Mission Corp philosophy is about, you know, making the, you know, changing the world for good, making it a better place and, and having everybody win and give them the tools and the incentives to do so. So what is your, like, if you think about the one major goal, I mean, you've got all these great people who have commented and, um, you know, Ronnie Lott, NFL Hall of Fame, and you've got the president of the University of Minnesota, Steve Case. Um, you guys have fantastic praise about the book, The Mission Corporation. And for those who uh, forgot who they're listening to right now, we're with Michael Moe and Mike Carter in Piazza. What, what, what's your, like, big win from this book, other than having kajillion people reading it, um, what? how do you succeed? Well, first of all, I talk about the president of the University of Minnesota. Um, and all I'm going to say is, you know, they call Harvard the Minnesota of the East. So that's all you got to know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, go ahead, Michael. What, what are we trying to what are we trying to accomplish with this? Yeah, I mean, so, so I think it's how companies are going to be built, hopefully. So so if we can get, you know, a thousand, let alone, I mentioned earlier, a million businesses to use the principles of the seven declarations and be mission corporations. 
And one of the key principles, Jeannie, for instance, you know, uh, Declaration 2 is this 10% employee stock option program where everybody in the company has a share of stock. That's so rewarding, right? If we can help companies be built this way. And the feedback that we got, and, you know, I'd say at least 80% of those quotes for the book, right, were obviously from, from uh, uh, Michael Moe and the relationships that he has um, with a lot of those folks who love the idea of what we were writing. But the feedback the last few weeks that I've, I've been blown away with is real leaders in business, like hard-nosed folks, you know, former military folks, uh, three-star admirals, CEOs of billion-dollar companies, reading the book saying, hey, guys, I'm blown away. I'm inspired. One person said the uh, 70-year-old man had a tear in his eye. He can do more. Um, they want us to buy 1500 copies of the book for, for his company that he's uh, executive chairman of. So it's, so I think we really hopefully, right. Hit a nerve because even incredibly successful people feel as Michael said, right. That the system isn't fair and the system is rigged and it's not a Republican or a democratic issue, right. It's a fairness issue. And we think hopefully we have a little bit of the remedy here um, with you know, this idea of providing a roadmap to be a mission corporation and hopefully having proper incentives um, for those companies doing it. But if we can have, you know, I think we have in the book, right, 100,000, our goal, stated goal, 100,000 mission corporations in 10 years, that's a huge home run because we're helping to change change things. And you're educating people about what it takes. I mean, I think that's the other place that I've seen, even as I got older, I had some of my first exposure to what venture capital meant and angel investing and business terms of art that a lot of people take for granted and don't share. And so what I really think is impressive about what you guys have done is you've kind of unpacked for people, you know, what goes into building a business? What are the, what are some of the things you have to think about that it's, it's, um, I think it's really um, extraordinary. So, Mike, what were you doing when you were 10 years old? Uh, Playing baseball, tennis, basketball, playing sports. Did you ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, probably not until I was like in um, high school, but um, not at 10. But yeah, in high school, I did. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And and did you like, I'm just, I want to do things different. I, why? Like give, give folks who are listening out there some sense of what they should think about if maybe they might be a little like you when you were younger. Yeah, I just think I, I think it's like creativity to think about an idea, and so you'd be able to like read Forbes Forbes magazine or one of the um, business journals in your local city, um, and s- see a profile of an entrepreneur, right, or a business person, and see what they built, and imagine yourself doing that. Imagine yourself helping your community. Imagine yourself hiring those people. Imagine yourself, um, you know, like creating something that outlasts you. Right. And so to me, that was super, super inspiring because I was consuming all that information and that data. Um, so it was just kind of, I went from baseball cards, collecting baseball cards and stuff to, to reading about entrepreneurs, but I didn't know exactly what I would, you know, what category of focus or what company I was going to build just that I wanted to build one one day. And I think it gives you such an expression of, um, like creativity to do that. Um, so, and then also, I think what it really gives you is utter freedom because that's your canvas, right? Your canvas is your, your work from home office space now. It's your office, it's your website, it's your social media presence, it's your application. 
like that's your you know that's your freedom and you can do with it as you as you, as you want so you know it's i don't think there's anything greater than creating something from thin air rallying a team around it and um, helping customers do something better faster or cheaper and having a team so you talk about playing team sports when growing up and then you talk about in the book contemporary capitalism being a team sport you just talked now about building a team why why is contemporary what is it about contemporary capitalism that's a team sport well i mean i think it's 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 everything right so um take building a software company um it used to be you know pre this internet technology that you know you either you either built software or you sold software and now right with storage being so cheap and um, the ability to build software so quickly you have so many different um, cross-functional uh, departments that that or cross-functional teams that that need to come together around that one mission it's all about the team right because there's no one person literally that can build a business on their own shoulders um, it takes it, it takes an entire team it takes an entire team with a different skill set and if you just think about a piece of software, you have the engineers, um, you have the infrastructure technology people, you have the creative designers, you have the marketing folks, you have the sales folks, you have the customer success team, you have you know administration and support by all really. Um, and then you have the, the leadership um, to help kind of uh, move it down the field. But yeah, I mean, contemporary capitalism, right, is the, is the team. Very cool. So as we start winding down, gosh, this has just flown by and I can't wait to really roll through the whole book. I hope everybody else will go out and pick up the Mission Core. There's so much to, so much packed in there. Um, we should talk about this again. Um, both Michaels, um, why don't you leave our listeners with one thing you think that they can do um, that you would be really excited about um, that would make a difference above and beyond starting a business. We like to we like to give people a chance to offer a thought on um, something great and some some uplifting thing they should take away with them. Well, I'll start. Um, maybe what I'll say is first of all, we do think um, we're not so arrogant to think that the Mission Corporation is the secret to society's happiness, but we do think it's a component that we'd like to see the future. We think the great companies of the future are going to be built on the principles that are outlined here. But I think as a society, the thing that is the most important for us right now is to listen and respect each other and respect free speech, respect other people's point of views, whether you agree with them or disagree with them and violently, but respect, you know, you, 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 and I think the biggest thing I fear right now is we're just not listening. And, the, and people that you don't agree with have become the other. And what we've got to realize is we're all in this together. And, we, and the way that we flourish as a people, as a society, as a nation, as a world, is by working together to solve problems, to fill needs, and build upon the foundation. And it, all that only happens when it is a, truly a team. You know, the United States of America is a team sport. Society is a team sport. It's lifting everybody up and winning together. Totally. Love that. And, and, you know, I would just say, I think it's just be truly authentic. And it's amazing that you can have people from, you know, diametrically different positions, right? 
Republican, Democrat, progressive, different, uh, you name the background. And if you, I think if you're authentic and you're true to yourself, other people see that, other people respect that, other people know that you're coming from a, a, you know, a good place, um, not a critical place. And, and you know, that can be in, in, in really everything. Um, and in terms of business, it's more important than ever because I think people see, see through not, uh, not being authentic. And I think what's, what's ho- what hopefully we hit is the voice of the book is really Michael and my voice. And I think there's authenticity to what we're trying to do. Um, it's not a political book. It's, um, you know, a, a book that's trying to, to help. And to Michael's point, we're not saying it is the end all be all on how to fix, you know, and solve world hunger. But we do think that it can really help and, and fix capitalism. And I would do one thing, Jeannie, I'll break a rule. And you, and you said not necessarily business. I think the one thing someone can do in a company um, and if you're running a company and you're starting a company, I think, you know, which is our declaration number two of our seven declarations and on the website, www.themissioncore with an S.org, it's um, creating an option pool and incentive pool for your team. Um, and you may think that, you know, I know there's data that says millennials or Zoomers don't care about shares. They care about experience and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I think everybody wants to feel appreciated. As Michael said, everybody wants to feel that they're part of a team. Um, everybody wants to feel that, that um, you know, they have ownership. And I think the one thing you can do in starting a company um, is, you know, establish that stock option pool, give everybody um, on your team, whether it's one share of stock or a million shares of stock. Yeah, and I'll just say one last thing. Sorry. But I think about it like this idea that people say, I don't want shares or yeah. me. you know, it's sort of like saying, you know, don't get me a present or I don't need anybody to recognize my birthday. And by the way, I say that, but you know what, when somebody wishes me happy birthday or sends me a note or a little, you know, you know, a little t- something, you know, it makes you feel good. And, totally. and it's, and it's a good thing. So I think it's, you know, it's, again, it's just a smart aligned thing to do to have people, you know, share in, the, the, the future and, you know, aligning interest and creating sense of purpose and meaning to what people do. This, this whole idea, you know, what, what I've said before is, you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand guiding behavior, you know, it's broken. And some people say we should cut the arm off. No, it has to happen. It needs to be mended. And it's with the George Washington invisible hand, which is about people are seeking their purpose and their circumstance and meaning. And you combine those two together. And now we've got some magic happening. So that's what I think we can do together as a, as, as a people. It's fantastic. People do want magic. They want, and they want to be recognized. And sometimes they are taught that they shouldn't want to be recognized. So I think that's also a great way um, to end. Uh, Mike Carter, it's been fantastic to have you in Piazza with uh, Michael Moe and I. Um, we look forward to following your progress, author, investor extraordinaire, and uh, entrepreneur. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeannie. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Ciao. You can find In Piazza wherever you get your podcast. This is a special project of the Center for Education Reform and GSV. Thanks for listening to In Piazza. Ci vediamo, or as we say in English, we'll see you soon. I'm Jeannie Allen. I'm Michael Moe. Ciao.